Good morning, all you sports fans, and happy Monday. I'm Daniel. And I'm David. And welcome to another podcast of the D&D Show. Today, we are going to get started on baseball. We're going to cover all four sports today because there was a lot going on this weekend. I didn't. We didn't get to uh, do our podcast yesterday because I was a little bit under the weather. I think I'm okay now, so we're just going to hop right into it. Care to lead us off, David? Uh, yeah, so uh, tonight we, uh, we have the two AL matchups um for the and then tomorrow we have the uh two nl matchups as well as game two of the al series um is is there any any uh i guess storylines that you're intrigued to watch play out tonight Mm, i still want to see how the a's handle the um the suspension cases that happened the last time the houston played oakland um, what I meant by that was the hitting coach for the Houston got 20 games of suspension for interfering and yelling at one of the ace players after he got hit by a pitch. Um, so I'm really curious about how that plays out with, you know, the heated, how heated this rivalry will get over the course of this five game series. I agree. And uh, I, I'm very interested to see how um, the pitching kind of lines up. Um, as well for for the A's um, just interested to see you know they don't have a lot of experience in, in the postseason so I'm curious to see how that translates on the field I agree and I think uh, the first two matchups right now I'm looking at are Lance McCullers versus uh, Cole Bassett and or Chris Bassett I apologize and then um, you have Manea versus Valdez which if you just if going straight on paper, it looks like Houston does have the over under four pitching, but it's all going to come down to bullpen. And I haven't really seen an outstanding bullpen in, on any of these teams yet this year. I I agree with the shortened season. I think that the bullpens kind of took the biggest hit when it came to uh, preparedness because I know there's been a lot of blown leads in all all of the rounds so far. Mainly the Cardinals bullpen giving up runs in every game they've played <laughs> but they're no longer in the playoffs so i can't really talk about them so <laughs> yeah um but that brings us to the other matchup tonight which is yankees and rays uh like like we said um i i, I really think that the yankees are gonna win this i know that you're, you're you have a differing opinion on this one so i'll let you take the lead on the, the series this one this first game is such a good pitching matchup. I really wish Tyler Glassnow was pitching against Garrett Cole, but Blake Snell, this is going to be each pitcher going four, five, six innings, two hits apiece maybe with no runs. This will come down to which bullpen will give up the first run. I bet this first game probably – I'll say Tampa takes it to, to nothing. I think it's going to be a really low-scoring game. It's going to be a pitcher's duel. But I think Tampa Bay gets it done at home. And it is weird It is weird seeing Tampa number one seed over the Yankees. I will say this has been a really weird experience for me, having the Rays with a number one seed in the playoffs. Yeah, it's it's kind of uh, weird to adjust to the, the, the seeding and how everything ended up paying out this season. But um, I, I, I do think – I do agree with you to the extent of the uh, kind of a pitcher's duel. But uh, I think that – I think with Cole on the mound, I really do think that it's going to be 3-1 uh, Yankees. I think Cole will handle business 
uh, as usual. So it'll be interesting. You know, uh, this is, I like the pitching matchups all across the board uh, with this series. So it should be interesting, but one, one uh, series that pitching, uh, I'm very intrigued at how the pitching is going to line up uh, we, as we move to the NL side. Uh, what, what's your, what do you, what's your take on the Marlins starting rotation moving forward now that we're in a little bit of a longer series? Um, I was actually taking a look at this yesterday because once they got in, I was had to really think about how they were going to play this out and just looking right down. I don't shoot. Most of them don't really have playoff experience. I, I barely think one of them has been through an actual playoff series mm-hmm. um, with such a, and I don't want to say young, I, I'll say more of a inexperienced group of guys. I think that is going to play a huge factor in how deep they go. I think if the Marlins were smart, they might turn these games maybe into bullpen games. Um, maybe letting your uh, starters go two, three innings at most, and then having to rely on your bullpen to close out the game from the third inning on. Because I don't know what, what's going to happen if they let their starters get deep into games after being seen – three or four bats. I think it's going to play a huge factor, especially against a tough, a tough Braves lineup. I, I agree. This is a very, this is a very, uh, very tough lineup, obviously. Um, they got a lot of power and uh, as well as just consistency overall. And I really do think um, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and state that I think that if, if Marte is, is healthy, um, Starling Marte for Miami. I do think that their lineup gets almost double as good as what it would be without him because he's just such an important person for their lineup as well as their defense. But uh, I, I still think that the Braves are going to handle business, like we said. Uh, I believe we said last week. Um, I really, I really think the Braves have this one in the bag. I don't know about you. I think I do think the Braves are going to. But I was wrong. I, I've been wrong. I was wrong about the them against the Cubs. So I told them they they weren't ready to win in the playoffs yet, and they uh, they swept them. So I, I'm really interested to uh, to see how that one pans out. Um, but honestly, the series I'm really looking forward to is this Padres, Dodgers, the battle for uh, California and the NLDS. Yeah, but I re- I want to say one thing. How did all of the central teams from the AL and the NL lose? Like, this is literally East versus West Coast now at this late stage in the playoffs, and it's very sad to me. It's it's something, you know, I, I, it's just something that uh, happened with this weird season. I mean, right. I couldn't have told you one team that – I mean, I guess the game I really thought could have thought would have went differently is like, is like Chicago, uh, just on paper, should have beat the Marlins. Um, but the other ones, I mean, there wasn't really an upset per se, um, in, in regards to like experience because like, yeah, the Astros won their, their game, but I mean, the Astros are of the battle tested team, obviously, uh, most of them are, uh, on the roster from the championship. Uh, and, uh, I don't know. I just really think, uh. It's going to be interesting with with how it did line up though that way with East Coast and West Coast. So, I mean, I think it's going to be a good. Uh, they're all going to be good series. Um, but specifically focusing back on the Padres Dodgers, um, 
I think a storyline to to watch for this one is definitely uh, what what Kershaw are you going to get in this series, uh, and uh, what can can the young bats of the Padres carry them? I think let's see, Kershaw is slated to pitch Game Two, which means he'll be ready for Game Four. Does that mean is Bueller on the mound for Game One? Yeah, Bueller's game oh. Bueller's Game One, Kershaw's Game Two currently. Um, and they don't have three, four, five set yet, which makes sense. But we have no idea who's pitching for San Diego at this point in time, which seems to be their uh, niche by not telling you who's pitching until the day of. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, after dealing with that in the whole series, it's it's hard to figure out what to, who to get ready for at this point. Yeah, and I'm sure like t- tomorrow, obviously when they release the their lineup and everything, I'm sure we'll be able to you know focus down some key matchups when it comes to the, like because with the lineups changing depending on the pitching and everything. So right, it'll it'll be it'll be interesting interesting to see who they do throw out um, for the Padres. I think the player to watch this series and is going to be Will Myers. I think. Everyone talks about Tatis Jr. and don't get me wrong, he's he is phenomenal. But Will Myers is an underrated power hitter. He showed it off against the Cardinals with two home runs, along with Tatis in the same game. But he's a consistent hitter. He puts up good numbers. He's a doubles hitter. He's he knows where to put the ball. And all of his years in Tampa, I think, have brought him to this point where he knows how to lead a younger team. Because he has been, he was with the Rays while they were in their rebuilding stage, and now that he's in San Diego, I think he knows how to lead that team. That's yeah, Will Will Myers is definitely, like I said, one of those bats that uh, is is going to have to carry a very heavy burden coming into this series. Um, but I, I would say um, my players well, – my players to watch, um, it, it kind of correlates with what you said. Um, but I think if they, if they make the division roster, I think you got to have the key players being Clevenger and Lamette. Uh, I think that if, if either of those guys, the number one and number two for San Diego, if either of those guys can come back, um, I don't know if they, they – I don't think they've released the official roster yet. But if either of those guys can even just be a presence, um, I, I think that that vaults the Padres. And honestly, I mean, Clevenger, when he's on, he's one of the most deadly pitchers in the game. And Lamette's definitely no a scrub at, at the number two starter position. So I think if they can get one of those guys back, I think it makes this a whole different series. They are – Let's see, six to eight weeks. They're saying he should be back by the division series. So I think they might have him. Whether or not he starts, though, that's a different story. Yes. and He might become a bullpen. He might be a bullpen man during the division series, which would still be helpful. I mean, both of them are dealing with uh, elbow issues. So, I mean, mean, I'm sure they won't come back and just do a – you won't see them at seven, eight, and he'd start, but – you know, maybe coming out of the bullpen, three, four innings, you know, be a long setup guy. So, <laughs> but uh, that pretty much wraps up baseball talk for uh, for today. But um, 
while we transfer over to the hardwood, um, kind of a shocking result last night. I'm not going to lie. I don't think a lot of people uh, really expected game three not, to turn out how it turned out. I didn't expect the triple-double. I will say that. That 40-point, that's, you know, they needed it. They had to play perfect, and they got a, a perfect start from Jimmy Butler this game. Uh, absolutely. They took advantage of uh, Anthony Davis's slow night, as well as like uh, I mentioned the other day, um, they had key people step up from the bench. Um, and uh, I believe Kelly Olenek had 17. Uh, okay. You had uh, Tyler Hero chipped in 17 as well. Um, he started, but, actually. Oh, yeah. he Yeah, well, he started in place of Bam, I believe. Okay. Um, and I mean – people are going to have to step up in the series for Miami for them to even be in it. So, I mean, the fact that they, the fact that they did this tonight, I mean, it shows a little bit of promise, but I also, I'm going to, I'm going to put on the, uh, the other side of the spectrum here is on Anthony Davis's worst playoff shooting night of, in his short career. Um, you only beat him by 11 and don't get me wrong. 11 is a lot of points in basketball, but a lot of things went wrong for the Lakers last night. And so it's still going to take perfect basketball. Like we've been preaching this whole series. And like Jimmy Butler said, they have to play perfect to beat them. And they had perfect circumstances to beat them last night. I still think this is Lakers series to lose. Will they lose? I don't think so. I, I, my, my prediction of Lakers in five is still on the table, but we'll see. Um, yeah, I, sh- I definitely think the, there's, I'm going to say this, and I might regret this later on. I don't think there is any scenario in which case the Lakers lose this series. I really don't. Um, Even with Anthony Davis having 15 points on a 6 of 9 shooting, uh, Morris and Kuzma both had 19 points in 25 minutes or less, with both going 6 from 13 from the field. Now, if you look at the bench of the Heat, one person, Kelly Olnick, 31 minutes, 5 of 9 with 17. Everybody else had less than 20 minutes of play time. And that shows you that they don't want to go to – the Heat do not want to play their be- their bench. They consistently will stick with their starters, which is going to tire them down so much quicker. And honestly, one, two – they had two bench players play five minutes or less, the Heat did. And if you look at the Lakers bench – Four of them had almost 30 minutes played, which to me shows that these Lakers can basically just throw anybody in at any given time and produce numbers. As for if it's the Heat, you basically have your starters and one person coming off the bench. So it's it's about six players versus 11, and I will definitely take the 11 players all day. Deep, deep bench is definitely uh, going to be something if this series does go late. Um, that will definitely come back to bite Miami. Obviously, it just depends on uh, the road to recovery for Bam and Gorin. Uh, but I do, I do believe that this is still, like I stated earlier, the Lakers series to lose. And I, I mean, it should be interesting. Um, obviously, Miami's Miami has every right to just. I mean, if they play just like they did last night, I mean, yeah, they're not out of it by any means, but. I still think it's the Lakers series to lose. No, nah, and I just think Miami needed this win no matter what. Um, 
even when the Lakers were up 2-0, this game would have been nice for LA to win, but they didn't necessarily need it. Miami needed to win this, and they they came out to play and they won. Now that the series is 2-1, we'll see what Miami team we get. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, now uh, flipping gears a little bit, um, we'll move on to or we'll, we'll look back on Saturdays, uh, the madness that was Saturday uh, with some NCAA football. And uh, first, I'd like to start this segment off by uh, apologizing to Mac Jones. Um, uh, if, if you listen to our if you listen to our col- our college uh, football segment last week, I said uh, Mac Jones did not scare me, and he could not carry a Alabama team to a victory. And he proceeded to go off for 400 plus passing yards, four touchdowns. You know, casual numbers, and only uh, missing seven throws. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and that was against uh, number 13, Texas A&M. So it was definitely no cakewalk of a game. Um, obviously, Texas A&M still yet to really prove themselves as powerhouse defensively. But uh, nonetheless, uh, I'll start right off with that game. That was – I did not expect that performance from Mac Jones. I don't think anybody did, to be honest. Because um, all week, all you heard was Mac Jones won't get it done. He cannot carry this team. He does not have the – you know – the presence of throwing deep. He barely, I think, uh, week one, he completed three passes for more than 20 yards, and he wasn't able to get the ball downfield. Now this game, he had three touchdown passes of 60-plus yards. So that he set a record for NCAA conference play. And he went four touchdowns, one interception, a QBR of 94. It is very hard for a college quarterback to get a QBR above 90 any game. And he did it against a tough Aggies defense, which grew soft as the game went on. But I don't know when you're up 30 points at one time, one point, you kind of just lose your steam. Absolutely. Uh, out of this Bama team, obviously you never can uh, bet against Bama. Um, they're always going to be there. Um, but shifting gears, you know, stay, stick it. We'll stick in the SEC to start off with. Uh, let's address, uh, so in our uh, very early college football season, we're both one and zero when it comes to our our locks of the week. Um, with you getting the win for your pick of Georgia over Auburn, care to elaborate uh, on that game a little bit? Um, going into the game, I was thinking Auburn has had such a high powered offense for years, but Georgia has always been a stout defense. I figured defense will always beat offense when it comes to just down in the mud trenches fights. I happen to be very correct on that much. Um, Bo Nix had a rough night against a very good uh, secondary. He went 21 for 40 with one interception, had a QBR 56. Um, We couldn't, you know, Georgia's uh, rushing outrushed Auburn 209 yards to 36 before the fourth quarter, before garbage time. And that played such a huge role in having four players rush 50 or 50 plus yards for Georgia. I think overall, they the Auburn defense looked terrible for an uh, eight man, an eight in the box kind of defense. Um, I do think they can come back next week and play a little bit better, but 
this was the game to prove that you are worth you are worthy of getting into a national championship at the end of this season. And they didn't show up to play at all. Yeah, it just seemed like uh, they never really were. In, I would say they were really never in this game. Um, it just it just seemed like they didn't want it per se. Um, I think I think that they still, you know, Auburn still has a chance to rebound. Um, I still think they're a a good football team. Obviously, they're not a great football team um, until they can prove that they can beat quality opponents. Uh, this year was something that they couldn't do the last like two years with Bo Nix. Um, but I, I, I think that uh, they'll bounce back. I'm sure they'll, they'll still pull out, uh, you know, um, they'll still pull out some wins. So it'll just be interesting to watch, you know. Um, but I I'll say, had... oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I'll say uh, one guy to watch for the, the rest of the season. Um, and, you know, obviously the, it's with it being a crazy season, uh, you got to watch Zamir White. I don't know if, if you watch, if you caught any of the game, but man could run the ball. Yeah, and and his um his yards this game are very misleading. He uh, nineteen attempts for eighty eight yards and two touchdowns, but that doesn't. If you watched him play and you watched his film, you will see how explosive he is at getting outside the outside the blockers. And when he's in open space. you are more than likely to miss a tackle on him because he is so elusive. And when he gets out there, it's just – he's fun to watch. And I will agree with you that he will be be a big name in not only college, but I think he'll make it through to the NFL. Um, Keeping it within the SEC, um, a couple of other games of interest. We have uh, number three, Florida, defeating, obviously, unranked South Carolina, which the reason why this game was so big is because, as you know, I've kind of really been talking highly of Florida. Um, I think this is one of the better teams in the SEC. Um, Kind of offense looked a little bit shaky, but – they really, when it mattered um, in the third quarter, they kind of locked it in and got two scores. Uh, Kyle Trask, yards obviously didn't really uh, didn't really show uh, the quality of his uh, of his performance um, with four, the four touchdown passes, but only 260 yards to show for it. So, um, I still think this is a, is one of the best teams in the SEC. Um, obviously, after seeing Mac Jones go off, they might be the second best team in the SEC. Um, cause I don't know if, if Bama plays like that every week, I don't know if anybody can beat them, but, uh, it'll be interesting to watch, um, them progress. I, I think that, that this team has a chance to run the table and take on, uh, Alabama. So now question based on just we're two weeks in, we've seen a lot of sec football. Who do you think is plays in the sec title match as of, as of today? Being two weeks in, uh, obviously I, we're gonna say Bama. I I would I was gonna say I honestly would stick with the, with that right there. I mean I think I just don't know if anybody's gonna challenge. I don't know if anybody's gonna challenge Bama on that side. I just don't. Okay, I think I, it'll be uh, Bama. Who? Bama, Florida. I, I, that's, I what, that's a, I agree. You know, no, that's definitely, that's definitely would be my pick as of right now. Cause I think this Florida team is, is firing of what it, on all, all cylinders right now. 
Um, obviously, their offense needs to catch up a little bit with their defense, but, you know, I think this is a good team. Uh, f- sticking in, the, we have one more matchup that we're going to cover in the SEC. Uh, actually, two more. I apologize. Uh, Mississippi State, the team that we thought uh, was going to be the sh- surprise of the uh, the SEC, um, they they, uh, they lost a stinker of a game to Arkansas. Yeah, they didn't. They did not show up to play at all. It's it's very unfortunate because Arkansas is not a good team. No, and, they they have not looked. Uh, I mean, they, they've definitely gotten better under Sam Pittman, but Sam Pittman definitely uh, doesn't have a track record of of uh, leading leading the teams, um, especially to wins like this. I mean, this is their first. Uh, like it's their first SEC win since like 2017, um, and the man that everybody praised last week—I mean, I don't know if you can blame anybody but him for this loss. I mean, KJ Costello three costly turnovers. I I just don't know if you can really blame anyone but him. Um. Yeah, I mean, those balls were nowhere near their intended receivers. Um, but I'm pretty sure one was deflected by a receiver which technically you can't blame the quarterback for a pass that should have been caught but was deflected up in the air now don't quote me on that because i'm not i don't remember 100 but their whole team is a as a whole i mean uh jaquavius marks 10 10 carries for 37 yards dylan johnson nine carries for 39 yards osiris mitchell five receptions for 61 yards i mean all of these numbers are terrible. Like they got nothing going on any in any facet of this football game. Yeah, and if you watch the, they had a, a drive kind of uh, late in the, uh, I believe it was late in the fourth quarter, uh, where they just, I mean, they had a fourth and one and uh, just got completely stuffed by uh, uh, the, the defense of Arkansas. And don't get me wrong, like Arkansas, you know, I'm not knocking them as a team, but this is definitely. Mississippi's loss I mean uh Mike Leach is gonna have to uh do something with this team before they uh before next week because if this team comes out and plays they're not gonna be able to compete with the big dogs of the SEC right I get that now let's switch gears for a second to um this miserable Texas loss Yes. Uh, what do you think about this? Switching, switching to uh, what I like to call the the beginning of the the upsets uh, with the last with the uh, Mississippi State Arkansas. We move up uh, six seven spots to number nine Texas. Um, uh, obviously, Big Twelve uh, game means uh, not a whole lot of defense played, which is uh, very apparent with the thirty three to a thirty one final. Um, it obviously, you know, the, the stat that really stuck out to me from this game, um, is, is Sam Ellinger. Yes, he was very, uh, he, he was very, um, consistent with the ball. Uh, but the 17 for 36, uh, when it comes to completions, um, at, at some point you got to take a few more shots. Uh, you can't be throwing them balls away. I know that there's a lot of just he just threw away, you know, obviously to avoid a sack, which is great. And but obviously, I mean, he put his he put his team in position to win. 
obviously with the fumble on the one yard line, it's it's never it's never an easy loss by any means. No, and I, I get where you're coming from. Um, you gotta you gotta protect the ball when you're that close. I, yeah, I get it. He was reaching out to to cross the uh, pylon, but when it's this close of a game and it's only second down. You gotta you gotta protect the ball and move your team closer. You can't just basically throw up a hail mary and just stick your arm out and hope that you pass the pylon because he honestly was still two yards short. Exactly, and he was fighting for you know the yards, but I don't think he necessarily needed to reach out that. that they still had two more. Yes. They had still two more attempts to get that ball into the end zone, which I think they really could have done at that point. But he basically costed his team the game by reaching out, trying to do it all himself. Exactly. I mean, that's that's one of those plays that uh, somebody with a little bit more experience maybe doesn't make. Um, but it's just one of those losses that uh, the committee is going to have to look at when, you know, if say they run the table here. Um, which I think is very possible because uh, this Oklahoma team – um, I'm not sure what Oklahoma team is going to show up um, when we, they play the next, this next week um, in the Red River rivalry game. Um, but, I mean, it's one of those teams that – I mean, they're not out of it, but it's not, it's, it's not looking promising with all the powerhouses of the SEC and uh, especially with Big Ten coming back. It's going to be interesting. Do you think Texas – do you think this loss will be the reason Texas doesn't get in? Uh, I believe that it's still almost too early for the for this discussion to even happen about Texas because I think they have to show that they can beat Oklahoma and beating them convincingly. Um, and then the game that's really it's really going to come down to is uh, when Texas plays. Uh, I believe they play Kansas State, the team that beat Oklahoma. Um, I, I don't know exactly what week it is. I. Th- I think it might be. I think it might be week eight. They play well. Honestly, they play Iowa State and Kansas State. Both teams that did upset Oklahoma. Yes, um, and, and Iowa State. Iowa State has always been a thorn in Texas' side. They always play them really correct. tough. So, so uh, those games are Friday, November twenty seventh, and Saturday, December fifth. Those yes. are the last two games on the Longhorn schedule. Yes, and those, and honestly, if it comes down to that, as a fan, I'm going to be ecstatic that we're even in contention for a playoff spot. Uh, obviously, with half the teams not even played games yet, it's just too difficult right, to really call a this playoff. This all going to get thrown in the. This is all going to get thrown into the wind in two weeks when we get Big Ten football back. Yes, a, so exactly. Um, which, which the return of big, uh, 10 football all hurts another team that, uh, suffered uh, their first loss of the season, which is the UCF Knights. Um, obviously the Knights have always, you know, uh, always been, uh, a competitor. They've always been, uh, I guess, uh, at the top of their conference or at least close to the top of their conference, um, dating back to, uh, the years they, uh, Self, the self-proclaimed uh, championships that they won. But yeah, <laughs> um, such an interesting time. Absolutely, but uh, they suffered a loss to Tulsa, and uh, I, I got to be honest, I had to look up 
this Tulsa roster um, because I didn't know a single person on the Tulsa football team, um, which is why I was so surprised that um, they lost because I thought Dylan Gabriel, everybody was saying was a dark horse candidate for the Heisman at the start of the season. And uh, after watching uh, that stinker of a game with Tulsa, I think he's about uh, written out of the uh, finalist Equation. category. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, when you throw up 51 pass attempts and you complete 28 of them and you have one touchdown out of those 28 completions – Against, it doesn't even look like this. I mean, it looks like Tulsa got whacked their first game. Oh no, they lost. They lost sixteen to seven against Oklahoma State. So I guess they're playing teams a little bit better. Um, but yeah, this is a this is team is a bunch of. I don't want to say nobodies, but people we don't know, uh, people who haven't been in the limelight for college football. And when UCF is supposed to be held to such a higher standard due to their um, undisputed, undefeated championship reign when they didn't even play for a bowl. It just, it blows my mind that people, I was never a UCF fan. I mean, their, their season every year isn't really such a hard season to get through. And their conference isn't tough. They're in the American conference. But, you can't lose games like this, especially when you're ranked. And it wasn't just a – they didn't lose in the last the last quarter. They lost before halftime, essentially. Yeah, and uh, it's, it's one of those things that, obviously, this is a pretty significant loss for uh, UCF for multiple reasons. Um, but, obviously, them wanting to get – national recognition this is definitely not going to help i agree with that um let's see sticking in the american conference uh we have uh the final game that we're going to talk about is uh well my lock of the week um smu over the uh their counterpart uh memphis and uh the reason why I uh, I chose SMU um, was because I was, I'm very familiar with their quarterback Shane Bouchel. Um, as uh, many of you guys know, he was a former Longhorn. Uh, he got beat out by Sam Ellinger for the job, and then he transferred to SMU. And I mean, his stats they I mean they they preach for themselves. Um, SMU is always a good football team. They've they've been a really good football team with uh, Shane at the helm. But I mean, he leads the NCAA in touchdowns. Uh, he's, uh, got, uh, I believe he's 12th in passing yards. Um, I mean, he's got like an average QBR of like 83. So, I mean, that's, I mean, when, whenever you do that week in and week out, um, I mean, obviously there's a couple of games in there where his stats were a little bit padded. Um, but I mean, when you do, you can do that week in and week out. I mean, it's you got to do something on defense to really lose lose a game. I caught this game uh, while I was at a, a family function on Saturday, and this SMU team looked really good. They look like a well oiled machine. Um, their running their run game is very good, 
And when you uh, match that with a very good passing game, you know, you're going to make defenses look silly. And they were up – when I looked at the score, it was 24-10 uh, uh, at the time. And, you know, I thought this game got out of hand very quickly. And then I turned it back on. It was 24-24. Um, and I just – I was very surprised at this game because I figured I'd give it a watch when you called the lock. I was like, you know what? I'll see how this game goes. And it was very entertaining to watch. I mean, SMU's defense is – very good at controlling the pass and getting into uh, blitzing the quarterback. They have a very good defensive line that causes a lot of pressure on quarterbacks, and it's going to be fun to watch them play the rest of the season out. Yeah, and I I would like to say that this – I really think that this game, the score was a little bit closer than uh, what the actual game was. Um, I think – well, Memphis got shut out in the fourth quarter. Um, obviously, they get a, they kicked a game-winning field goal. So, I mean, it was tied. So, it wasn't like they ran away with this game. But I think the score was closer than the actual uh, game. But um, like I was saying with uh, Shane's stats, obviously, they're a little bit, they're a little bit um, skewed by the fact that he played North Texas and he's played Stephen F. Austin. Um, so, I mean, those are two games that he's stats definitely were saying, but I, I look forward to this team specifically. Um, I, I'd like to compare this team to UCF of the past, because I think if they can make it past Cincinnati in uh, two weeks, I think they have a chance to run the table. Um, yeah, I'm cur- I, uh, I see what you're saying. I'm looking at their schedule right now and, um, uh, there are a few teams I would like to see them that I will enjoy watching. Cincinnati is one of them. I think uh, Houston will be another game, and then Temple will be a game that those three games will determine their season in a nutshell. I think those are going to be the hardest matchups for SMU, and if they go, if they run the table, I think they would be. I think they're in better contention than a UCF team of three years ago. I think so, and I think that with the wins, uh, if they can beat Memphis and Cincinnati and go undefeated, I think that as long as Cincinnati stays the course that they're on, I think that it'll definitely be uh, be enough to possibly you know put them into into a, a playoff spot. Obviously, it, a lot has to happen in the SEC, and who knows with the Big Ten how that's going to pan out. But it's just you know it's a fun thing to speculate uh, early in the season. Um, one more storyline I'd like to talk about uh, from this game is, I don't know if you, you said that you got to watch a little bit of it, um, but did you see uh, that the entire student section of SMU got kicked out of the game? I was wondering what happened. So I'm watching the game, and all of a sudden I'm just watching people leave, and the announcers are like, what is going on? And then finally they got it cleared out that they weren't following. The, the mass exodus of people in the middle of the game. So, yeah. yeah. They were kicked out for not following their mask mandates, which I think it's cool to see uh, to see students back at college college uh, football events. I think it's a good start to implementing plans across all platforms for uh, sports. Yeah, um, and I don't know. Also, one other thing I'd like to mention about this game is uh, I don't know. Uh, whenever you click on the uh, the highlights for it, the the last thing that uh, 
I, I noticed is uh, whenever they were celebrating um, their game-winning field goal, they, they were shooting confetti off on the sidelines. And I thought that was kind of, you know, I've heard of like, all, I've seen so many different celebrations, but that's the first time I've seen somebody. I mean, yeah, they beat a tw- top 25 team, but they had like confetti launchers and everything. And it was going, they're going crazy on the sideline. Yeah. But I mean, they deserved it. They play, this was a good game through and through. Um, and I just think your emotions run high when you're when you are playing a top 25 team and you're winning and it comes down to the final drive, you know, emotions run high, your your adrenaline's pumping. I think it was just worth it to them. And it was it's good to see that they're playing, they're putting it all out on the field. And uh, with that being said, um, let's transfer. Uh, we're going to go from the college fields to the professional fields. Yeah, and uh, with an action-packed day on uh, yesterday. And uh, I, I, I think we start with the, uh, with the early games, um, early takeaways. Um, we'll, so we can start with the, uh, the Ravens. Um, the Ravens versus uh, the Washington football team. Um, Lamar, Lamar, uh, <laughs> Lamar, uh, ran wild. Um, but I mean, it was kind of a close game. I'm not going to lie. This Ravens team, after seeing them play the chiefs and now only winning by 14 points to the, uh, football team. I'm curious to see where this team goes. Um, I really expected a few more skewed games, especially against the Washington football team. Um, I mean, kudos to Dwayne Haskins. He has been um, pretty consistent the past couple of games. I know their record doesn't show it. They're one and three. But this this offense is actually pretty good. You have a rookie, a rookie rushing, uh, a rusher, Antonio Gibson, who isn't too consistent just yet, but it's his first season. I mean, he had 13 carries, 46 yards, and a touchdown. Not a great stat line, but they were just keeping the pressure up. Uh, they were doing well at switching their game plan. They didn't focus solely on rushing or passing. They they went at this Baltimore defense with everything they had. Terry McLaurin, that's going to be a receiver for the next couple of years. I mean, his stat line was 10 receptions, 118 yards, no touchdowns. But I think that between Antonio Gibson and Terry McLaurin, I think this team will this team will maybe pull up some upsets later on in the season. Yeah. And I'm going to save that soundbite that you, uh, that you had earlier when you said that Dwayne Haskins started to play consistently. And I'm going to go ahead and read a few facts off for you from this rookie quarterback. So coming into this game, he has not in his short career, he had not thrown for over 300 yards. He had a, a completion percentage coming into this game of, just over 50% in every game as, as well as coming off of a three interception performance to the Browns, which we will talk about in a little bit. Who uh, is, is definitely the surprise of, of the early season. Um, but while I do agree with you uh, that, that he has, he has potential. Um, I think that the fact that they're a young team all around, um, they don't really have very many veterans on offense. I think that's kind of skewing his numbers. But I definitely do not think that um, 
that Dwayne Haskin is the answer for the Washington football team. And I, I, I'm saying it now. Um, I know he's only had, a, what, four games in his career. But I'm saying it right now. Uh, Dwayne Haskins, not the answer. Um, honestly, if you want to save your season and have a chance to win this really crappy division, put in Alex Smith. I think he needs, I think Alex Smith needs a little bit more time off. Um, just to get back, just to get the feel back. I mean, he had a gruesome injury. I think, you know, he's a lot further along than I thought he'd be in his rehab already, but you know, I think, see, I don't know. I think for now, Dwayne, I think he, he settled in this. I think this game he did settle in and playing against such a hard defense. It is, it's, you know, it's daunting when you, when you hear you're playing the Ravens, I guarantee it's, it probably sends chills down your spine. You're like, oh crap. We got, you know, they have a good front. They have a good secondary. You can't throw the ball in the middle of the field against them because they will pick it. But I think, yes, he has been very streaky coming into this game. But I think he settled down and he found his rhythm. That's all I'm going to say. You know, we'll, well, see how, we'll see how he plays from here on out, though. Flipping, flipping from one um, rookie quarterback to the next, um, congratulations to Joe Burrow on your first uh, victory of the season. Um, obviously, with the tie last week. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's good to, uh, get in the uh, W column. And, uh, honestly, um, wasn't the craziest game for Burrow, but I really think that, um, the running game finally picked up. And so it, it wasn't all on Joe Burrow. Um, and I think that's honestly what set them over this week, uh, when getting Joe his first victory. I mean, Joe Mixon's a, a scary runner. The Joe and Joe show. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be fun to watch for the next few years in uh, Cincinnati. Obviously, this is no knock on. Uh, uh, I mean, Garner Minshew is doing doing what he can with what he's given. Um, obviously, I think Jacksonville's Jacksonville and Cincinnati are very similar teams. If their running game gets going and can put up a hundred plus yards and some touchdowns, I think that both of them can win games. But obviously, you know, probably the uh, disappointing factor was you know robinson i mean 17 carries for 75 yards um no touchdowns on the ground i mean i think these two teams are very similar like i said and i think with both having young quarterbacks i think it's all comes down to the running games i agree with you on that statement i but as of right now it kind of looks like joe burrow had the edge over gardner Minshew in the quarterback department for this game at least um but Gardner Minshew has these games where he just looks like he's been playing playing in the NFL for for almost a decade. He's so precise and he can pick at you he can pick at your defense with such precision. But Joe Burrow is going to be a household name by the end of the season in the NFL. That is just uh, my opinion. I I definitely I definitely can see that being a thing. Um with that being said, um, sticking with the theme of rookie quarterbacks, let's switch over to um, Tampa Bay versus the Chargers with uh, Justin Herbert uh, at the helm. And uh, in vintage Brady fashion, uh, crushing the hearts of Chargers fans everywhere with the uh, 
third and uh, fourth quarter uh, central uh, comeback. Um, I got to watch this game. Um, this is one of the ones that I, I did watch this weekend. And something that I noticed um, was I think that the turning point in the game was the fumble in the second quarter by uh, by uh, the Chargers. I almost said San Diego. By uh, the Chargers. And uh, that, that gave them points right before half. Um, I think if they could have just ran the ball out, went to half with the 24 to seven lead, I think this game doesn't end the way that it ends. Think, um, but I mean, this was, this was vintage Tom Brady. If I've ever seen it, he just, he looked like he was back in uh, new England, to be honest. He had his one receiver that he picked on the whole day and his rushing game. I mean, and again, he never really had a rushing game in New England. But um, when you can compliment Tom Brady with a an 111 yard rushing day, uh, this team is going to bring the heat. Yes, and a major storyline out of this game would definitely be the loss of OJ Howard for the season with the Achilles injury. Obviously, it's going to um, really hurt that offense losing one of the weapons. Maybe they'll incorporate Gronk a little bit more now. Um, but obviously the loss of Austin Eckler in, in this game obviously didn't help uh, the Chargers uh, with their leading rusher being their quarterback with 14 yards. Um, right as soon as I got rid of Josh Kelly on my team. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like I said, this you did you did mention the uh, the fact that this is vintage Brady. I mean, if you think about it, this I mean this lines up perfectly with something uh, of of uh, twenty eight to three um, because you know down twenty four to seven um, he threw he threw an early pick six and then he bounces back and throws for I mean five touchdowns. Uh, I mean it doesn't get much more Brady than that. But so, I will, I will say we have seen a lot more picks out of Tom Brady in the past six weeks, six games than we have basically in his whole entire career. He's been throwing a lot more interceptions recently, and I think it's just he's not acclimated to uh, either it's the warm weather or it's um, just this offense. I haven't figured out which one yet. And and it's like like Brady said, and I believe when he was getting interviewed, this is this is week four of the preseason. This should be week four of the preseason. Um, so, I mean, they're expecting to be firing all cylinders, and they won't be firing on all cylinders until, like, week eight, week nine. Um, but sticking with uh, the GOATs, um, we flipped to the Saints game, where I thought they were about to uh, – at the end of the first quarter, man, it looked like that team was about to be a dumpster fire – uh, this season, but they uh, managed to come back. Uh, Kamar got going. Breeze, two touchdown passes of his own. Um, I mean, the defense stepped up when it needed to. This, this Saints team is I, – I have not seen a Saints team play like this in at least since they won a Super Bowl in 2008. Like, this has just been – dreadful to watch yeah they're getting w's but we've never seen an offensive an offense lacking as much as this team has been lacking since they lost michael thomas um there is a bright spot for this team though emmanuel sanders is you know getting 
more of the targets now, and he is showing that he is showing up. And um, Alvin Kamara is always a good, good person to rely on. But I mean, Drew Brees threw twenty five pass attempts for two forty six, with one interception and two touchdowns. Does that that does that's not a stat line that's usually a Drew Brees type of um, game. Yeah, and I think a lot of it also has to do with um, with the the age factor, um, not being able to throw the ball down the field as much. Um, when people always joke about Michael Thomas only running slant routes, um, that's a big part of their offense. And, I mean, a lot of the yards after catch um, help help Breeze's stat lines. But I think this also is kind of uh, this kind of leads into the next game. I, I think that uh, w- with the the Vikings offense reminds me a lot of the Saints offense, where um, Cousins is obviously he's hasn't really panned out to that contract that he got. But I think both teams are very very dependent on the run game. Um, you know, Kamara got going kind of later in, in into the second quarter and third quarter, and look at that. They started scoring points. Dalvin Cook, you know, had a, a monster day. He When he got going, the Vikings were going. And I think that both of those, those are two offenses that, obviously, if they get one-dimensional and they can only pass, they're not going to win games. But if they can get a run game established, I think that they're – they can they can compete with these with these teams. Like I, I honestly think that the Vikings can compete with anybody in their division if they just if they just bring both assets to the to the uh, to the game. See, I think when the difference between uh, Minnesota and New Orleans right now is New Orleans doesn't have a second re- uh, second receiver like Minnesota does currently. With uh, the, between uh, Justin, with Justin Jefferson, Justin Jefferson emerging out of no out of his. Game three breakout and continuing that trend this week and Adam Thielen getting back to his 100-yard receiving games. Um, New Orleans really needs Michael Thomas back to even start competing in that division because that division is going to get tough very soon. Yes, and with that with that being said, that, that division, um, one of their uh, counterparts, the Panthers, um, this this Cardinals team, uh, and I, I'll get to this um, – later but you know one of the storylines that I really that I like to bring to light with this game is is Kyler Murray because I I believe that people were giving him too much credit um in his first two games um a lot of people were having him in the MVP conversation after the two weeks and I think that these last two performances kind of humbled him brought him back to earth um, because without a consistent run game, uh, this this team is not going to be able to, especially in the division that they are, they got to play Seattle, the Rams, which we'll get to talk about here in a minute. Um, and even the 49ers that banged up, um, I still think that th- this is this is probably the last place team in that division. I, I agree with that. Um and like you were just touching on with the running game, when your actual running back has 13 carries for 35 yards and he's second on your rushing list behind your quarterback who has six carries for 78 yards, you have you got to figure you can't have your you can't have your quarterback running as much because his rate for injury is 
greatly increased when it comes to that. And this is and, no th- this is no knock on uh, Bridge or on Bridgewater and the and the Panthers. Um, obviously, their offense uh, took a little bit. Uh, I I mean they 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 kind of got off to the the fast start with the two first quarter touchdowns. But um, this this offense has is one of those where they can have a really really high ceiling and they can come out and Bridgewater can throw the ball all over the field, or they can have one of these weeks where you know it's they got to fight for every point. Can we can we call out DJ Moore? Um, I'm very tired of these uh, lackluster performances, especially out of the number one receiver on that team. It's when Robbie Anderson is new to the team, DJ, um, and he was brought and Anderson was brought in for these long balls, and he is now averaging double targets over their number one receiver. Something is going on in that Carolina offense. Well, and I think that that does doesn't necessarily fall on DJ Moore. I think it, or I think it more follows on the scheming whenever placing the teams because, like DJ Moore, uh, DJ Moore has was targeted six times with only four catches. Um, but if you look at it, um, like last week, I mean, he had the uh, last week he had uh, only two receptions for with four targets because I think after he had that big game against Tampa Bay, they realized that um, the, the way to stop that offense is you got to take away one, possibly two of the options, which I think a lot of people are covering Samuel and uh, DJ Moore, and they're allowing Anderson to be open um, because Anderson is like the third, the third uh, option in that offense. So I think that, a lot of it has to do with defensive schemes, why he's not getting it as like we'll, what we'll touch on with the Sunday night football game. You'll hear me rant about one of my fantasy players, um, but it's not necessarily on him. It's on the scheming of defenses, uh, basically just taking him out. I mean, you take out their best, their best weapon. And uh, I think that's what they're doing uh, there. Speaking of um, with the, er- the last of the early matchups, um, I believe uh, the other game I don't want to talk about. Uh, no, we'll save that one for last. We'll save that one for last because we still have uh, Russell Wilson um, squeaking out the win against the Dolphins. Obviously, um, they kind of – I mean, the Dolphins fought back. They came back. They, got, they made it close. Um, but ultimately, Russell Wilson got it done. Still, still getting it done. Um, that brings me to the, uh, the the next point of uh, what is your who's coming out of this NFC West? If I had to take a if I'm going on right now, the Seahawks are probably the team to beat. Um, we saw Russell Wilson not have a week where he's throwing five touchdowns for 400 yards. We that's all we've seen out of Russell Wilson this so far in this season. But even when he throws for 360 his running game gets the job done. Chris Carson had two touchdowns and 80 yards. Um, So whenever we see such a balanced attack, we don't see that really from any other team in the West. Um, LA, we'll touch on that. We're going to touch on that game in a little bit, but I just want to say it'll go Seattle, LA, San Francisco, and then Arizona is my NFC division. 
Yes, and uh, this Dolphins team, um, uh, as as a Bills fan, um, I have mad respect for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, the fact that he's he's went in there, um, with a team that's basically in rebuild mode, um, that has been in rebuild mode. Uh, you know the whole tank for Tua, um, but coming out there and being able to compete in games against high caliber teams. I mean, they were in it against the four no Bills. They're in it against the four and Seahawks. I mean, it's I mean, they managed to beat they beat the the Jaguars coming off of that really hot week. Everybody was giving the Jaguars everybody picked the Jaguars to win that game. I, I mean, did. yeah, he's 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 picking I mean he's he's carrying the team. Um so I, it's definitely interesting. Obviously, with uh, we still have one more matchup against them this season, so that'll be an interesting one. Um hopefully they're not a thorn in our side. But uh, sticking um, with the early games, the one that uh, I can't wait to talk about, uh, we have the Browns beating the Cowboys. And uh, this one has so many storylines. First off, Dak setting historic numbers in a losing effort. But Mike McCarthy always had a history of having, um, I wouldn't say, I would say defense. Um, he's always had a, a, a okay defense. Like usually, if Mike McCarthy was going to lose a game, it'd be, be because of his offense not producing, whether it be the run game, pass game, um, at least in his in his past. But the, man, this defense was it was tough to watch. How how do you let Odell Beckham have two rushing attempts? For 73 yards and a touchdown and averaging more yards than anybody else on that rushing attack. Just, uh, I, there's so many things I want to say about this game that I just, we don't have time for. Um, being a Cowboys fan, this was very disappointing. Our defense was terrible. Um, how can you have an MVP candidate? And yes, Dak Prescott is an MVP candidate. Don't at me. Um, and lose this game to the Browns. Yeah, I guess Cleveland is three and one. Yes, they're still terrible. Um, but we need to pick up and we need to pick up our defense. I'm getting tired of watching our offense play so well just for our defense to blow games for us. And with that being said, with the with the with the stats, um, obviously fourth quarter rolls around with the. With the um, nearly thirty-point lead, I think it's a twenty-seven-point lead. Um, obviously, you kind of let off the gas a little bit, um, which has happened, which led to three scores in the fourth quarter for uh, the the Cowboys. But I I really want to focus on the consistency of the run game for the Browns uh, so far this season. The fact that honestly. I mean, they had like just consistency from you had, um, especially with Nick Chubb leaving the game. You didn't know what the what the uh, run game was going to do, but the fact uh, Ernest Johnson stepped up for ninety six yards, Odell with the two really long runs, um, and then you have Cream Hunt who's getting you seventy week in week out. I mean, this is definitely going to be a scary team if if Baker Mayfield can figure out the passing game, and by that I mean consistently being able to throw the ball downfield. Um, he's been able to dink and dunk it um, with the crossing routes to Jarvis Landry. Um, 
as well as uh, the same thing with Odell. Um, I mean, if he can figure out the, the long ball, uh, this is a scary team. I mean, granted, they still got to place the Ravens and they still got to place the Steelers. And like that's that division is no cakewalk, but it's still still a team that can make some noise. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't get to tell you who my overrated player was because that would have totally kicked me in the butt this week. Um, but the fact that you can have a receiver go one for one, 37 yards and a touchdown, and still almost play better than your actual quarterback, this team is very intricate and they will be fun to watch the rest of the season. I don't think they're going to have as many games like this scoring almost 50 points. I don't think we'll see that again, at least for a couple weeks. But I, I'm interested to see who their new lead rusher is going to be with the, with uh, Johnson coming out of nowhere and basically outrushing Kareem Hunt. That is, and we will see how that all plays out. And you even had Hilliard in there. Who was taking carries away from uh, Hunt? No, Johnson. And I think that they're 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 going to stick to the game plan they've had all season, which was Cream Hunt is their is their goal line threat um, inside the twenty. Give it, give him the rock. Um, and I think that that is still going to be their their bread and butter. I don't think they're going to change their offense. That's why I think Ernest Johnson had more touches. Um, he. Definitely had obviously thirteen, so that's two more carries than Cream Hunt. Um, but I think they're gonna use him in the open field and use Kareem Hunt as more of a goal uh, line. goal goal lineback um that that he's originally uh his original role on the team. With that um uh, being said, uh, the the Browns obviously it, they're still a shaky team. Um, because they've been flashy in the past, and then the next week they have a complete letdown. So it'll be interesting to watch. Um, moving to the second slate of games, we have uh, we'll talk about the uh, other NFC West team, the Rams. Um, I don't know this offense. I can't really say much about this game. I this, mean, this offense is just super shaky. Um. I don't know why. I mean, I think the the Giants kind of took the run game away, which is why the the play action pass was not being effective. Like when uh, the this Rams team took on like the Bills, and uh, because I noticed that they um, they didn't run the ball as well. Obviously, because if if you take away the run, you can just stack the box. Um, if you don't have to stack the box. And you can cover everyone. I mean, you're gonna have games like this where a really high-powered offense just lays an egg. Yeah, and I mean, this Rams team, on paper, you would expect a higher numbers and better gameplay, especially against an 0-4 Giants, whose team probably couldn't even beat a college, couldn't beat Alabama right now if they tried. But I do want to say one thing about this. Devontae Freeman coming into New York and is now taking over that starting role in the rushing game, I think will be a spark for this team. And maybe Danny Dimes can get it together. And maybe we'll see some good games out of New York because they sure they sure need it. Early season, um, still getting everything uh, going. Um, 
this game was this game was obviously a stinker to watch, but uh, I I appreciated the Golden Tate Jalen Ramsey fight at the end. That was fun to watch. What's um, new with Jalen Ramsey though? <laughs> but sp- sticking with the stinker games, uh, the other game or one of the other games in the second slate was Colts Bears, which we knew was going to be a low scoring affair. Uh, with two offenses that really um, haven't clicked, haven't haven't term. haven't clicked in full, um, and then you have two really good defenses going up against each other. So obviously, Nick Foles, I mean, okay start for him. Um, nothing crazy. Uh, Colts just did enough to win this game. Um, obviously, Bears had a chance. But they just couldn't. They just couldn't score, and and that's uh that's that's what happens when you play the number one defense in the NFL. Um, your non your barely existent offense becomes a non existent offense. But we are starting to see glimpses of what this Bears offense can do. I mean, Allen Robinson past two weeks has shown great chemistry with Nick Foles. Yes, um, and before that, Trubisky didn't. I think barely targeted them because they didn't have that good of a, of a chemistry together. But now that Nick Foles is actually a better passer over Mitch Trubisky, I think we will start to see Allen Robinson get more games of a hundred yards. And I, and I think we're going to, we're going to get to see Jimmy Graham get back into the game. Uh, We're going to have some more wheel routes for David Montgomery. And I think this, I think this offense has the ability to put up numbers if we can actually get a good rushing attack out of them as well. Yes. I think that this game is definitely no knock on the bears offense necessarily. Um, It it was an average performance for them. Yes. But I think this is more of a testament to the Colts defense being the number one in the league, um, basically shutting out the, the bears rushing attack. And when that's the case and it all falls on to Nick Foles, or even if Mitch Trubisky was in there, uh, that's when bears are just not going to be able to handle business. I agree. And this, this game may be a, a stinker in the words of uh, a low scoring game, but this was a defensive game. If I have seen one yet this season and you know, the Colts have the best defense in the league, but this Chicago Bears defense did show up to play, and we can't knock on that. I'll knock on them either. I mean, when you hold, when you hold um, a decent, a pretty good rushing team to only sixty-eight yards for one person on rushing, I think we might need to start taking this Bears team a little bit more seriously in the upcoming weeks. And I think this comes down to their perform their ability to perform in divisional games. Um, when it when when they do start rolling in, um, obviously, what I'd like to see this team play the Lions with Nick Foles. I want them to see them play Green Bay. Um, so it, I think this comes down to their ability to perform in uh, their divisional games because uh, the Bears teams of the past have um, kind of disappeared even their defenses have have kind of disappeared when it came to divisional games that's that's fair and i mean we haven't seen a good bears a good bears team in at least six years so we we don't really understand but yeah uh, since since cody parkey ripped the heart out of uh, all those faithful fans hearts 
made me hey he made me 20 bucks so hey I, what's worse the butt fumble yeah. tony romo taking the uh, uh extra point and trying to score with it or the cody parkey oh i mean i think i think it has to i think it has to be the tony romo just with yeah, how miserable how miserable that franchise has been i mean <sighs> it, at least the bears in the last like what 15 seasons made a super bowl was it no was it 2004 five I don't know. Five was Carolina. So four, three or four. No, it wasn't three. It was four. Four, yeah. Um, with that being said, um, we'll move to the last of the, the second slate of games, which is near and dear to my heart, uh, Bills Raiders. Um, below average day for Josh Allen, but he was playing with the bum shoulder there towards the end. Um Defense st- stepped up whenever we needed him to, um, forcing turnovers. Um, they kind of let up there at the end. They let up that late score. Um, I mean, Stephon but, Diggs looked like the old Stephon Diggs in this game. Uh, yeah, and I, this this team is definitely um, – it's going to be an interesting storyline um, with the Tennessee Titans being on – covid because this team was slated to play the uh the titans next week and from a few of my sources say that this game might be rescheduled for later so basically the bills will have a week five bye which a week five bye going into week six against kansas city is going to be an extremely uh good well yeah it's a good it's it's a good thing and not a good thing a good thing is you get that extra week of film um, you get to strategize against them. Um, but the bad thing is, is you lose any rhythm that you've had uh, going into it. So it'll be interesting. Um, I don't really have a whole lot to say about this game. Um, I have, I have uh, one I, thing I want to say about this game. Okay. Where the hell is Josh Jacobs gone? I think Josh Jacobs, uh, I think this team, this team was, is one of those, uh, like I keep preaching, I think it's one of those ride or die teams. I think if you can get your run game going, I think this team is firing on all cylinders. I think you have to start incorporating Jacobs in the pass game um, more than what he already is. Um, but like I was getting ready to say, I think that the one, the one thing that I would like to say about this Bills team is, yes, you have Stephon Diggs. Yes, you have Cole Beasley. Yes, you have John Brown. But a player to watch for the future is definitely Gabe Davis. I was um... – and I agree with you. I mean, just on paper, he's a menace. I mean, he's 6'2", 210, and he is a very explosive receiver. He can get outside. He can beat you inside. And he's good off the line. So I think in four games, he has shown he can. Have, he is a very good third receiver when he's called on. And that's, and that's all you have to have when you have uh, – when you have – uh, star receivers on on uh, the other side of the ball with you, um, you you can you can just be a, a trustworthy hands guy. You don't have to necessarily make the big play every time. Um, so that that's definitely going to be something that I hope that the Bills take advantage of in the upcoming weeks. Um, but with that being said, um, the last game Sunday Night Football. Um, Pit uh the Nick Mullins led 49ers uh versus uh a struggling Carson Wentz 
and that Philadelphia offense. But Philly came out with the victory. They uh, cemented themselves at the top of their division with a astounding one, two, and one record. Um, so, uh, wh- what's your takes from this game? Um, well, George Kittle was he even ever injured? Uh, he came out. <laughs> he, he came out firing all cylinders. Uh, I played the guy I play in fantasy this week at him. He scored forty one points. It's looking like he's going to beat me this week. I mean, it's 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 a tough. It's coming off of coming off of an injury. Uh, I mean, that's the performance you like to see if you're a 49ers fan. I was going to say 15 targets, 15 receptions, and he was out for two weeks with a very bad injury. Um, coming in, putting up 183 yards and one touchdown. I mean, I you couldn't ask for a much better performance out of a returning guy from an injury. Um, but overall, uh. Jarek McKinnon seems to be settling into his um, role as the number one rusher for the 49ers right now. Um, The only thing I'm kind of worried about is this little tandem for uh, quarterbacks that's going on right now. Uh, I feel like that we don't really know what's who to expect to start each game. And I think it's really going to throw a wrench in these plans. Um, I mean, C.J. Bassard played very well, um, but when Nick Mullins came in, I mean, what do you? What's your take on all this? So I think that um, until C.J. Bethard lays an egg, I think this is his. This is his team until Jimmy G comes back. I don't think there's going to be a controversy. Uh, I think it's after leading his team and scoring once, and honestly, if if uh, George Kittle didn't basically block the ball out of his teammates' hands on that Hail Mary, I think that guy had a chance to catch the ball. Um, but I think that this this team is – it's CJ's team right now. Um, on the other side of things, I think that one of the surprising um, – I think one of the surprises is the – I don't know, I guess the letdown of the Jalen Hurts effect – um, obviously he touched the field like three times in the game, uh, with a fumbled snap, uh, a five yard, uh, run, um, on a failed fake play. And then, uh, he missed up the, the read option. And I just think that if, if they want this, you know, if they want like a spark for this offense, I think they have to get Jalen hurts involved. Um, they have to figure out what, what that is, because it's obviously the chemistry with him and Jason Kelsey isn't there. Um, he's had three fumbled snaps on the year. Um, I know it's just jitters, I'm sure, but it's something that they're going to have to figure out because this offense for Philly, I mean, they figured out the recipe to beat them is stop Zach Ertz, stop Miles Sanders. If neither of them get hot, this team is beatable in all facets of the game. And I think it doesn't help that they don't really have – a secure number one receiver. I mean, just they don't have that one, that one person that they can rely on deep in games. Exactly, right. and like Deshaun Jackson was was hurt. Um, you have Dallas Goddard out, so your number basically your number one receiver is is another tight end. So uh, with them was both being out, and you relying on. I mean, Richard Rogers led led the team in receptions, I believe. Um uh in this game or greg he, he tied, yeah he greg ward did but he had three catches for 35 yards 
Um, but he was still, I mean, he was the, uh, this is a very, this offense is built for two tight ends. And I think the fact that Dallas Goddard was hurt, it didn't help their offense. And that's why you only saw the 193 yards from Carson Wentz. And he's, I definitely think Carson Wentz is going to have to play a little bit better for this team to, you know, not fall behind everybody else. I mean, yeah, this is a stinker of a division. And it's, it's, it's one of the worst, I mean, the worst divisions I've seen. It's sad. Very, very sad. But I mean, some of the, this Dallas team should not be one and three. I mean, now they should be 0 and four. Okay. Okay, there. All right, now. Um, Falcons gifted them one, so they should be 0-4. Um, yeah, I mean, with that being said, the, the, the 0-3 Falcons take on the Packers tonight um, in the late game. Uh, this, this Green Bay team, I mean, Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers clicking on all cylinders. Um, is there any chance Falcons stop the, that train tonight? No. I mean, let's be honest here. This Falcons team has given up three games. They're able to take a lead, but they can't hold that lead. And it's – you got to do that with Green Bay. You got to close the game out. You got to be tough defensively. And I just don't think they have what it takes to – I mean, they're going to either lock down Aaron Jones, so they're not going to have a rushing game. But then you got to lock down Aaron Rodgers. So which Aaron are you not going to compete against? That's the real question tonight. And I think that this this uh, this defense will hold Aaron Jones uh, to I mean an underwhelming performance for an Aaron Jones performance. Um, that I think that he'll probably have about 12, 12 to fifteen carries for sixty yards and a touchdown or two. Um, and but the player the player to watch in this game for me is uh, I think this kind of the surprising. Uh, receiver this season and Calvin Ridley. Um, I think that he's going to have a big game. And if he has a big game, it, it gives the Falcons the best chance to compete um, in, in this late, this late contest. Um, yeah. And I don't really want to say, I would say it's more of a uh, reemergence of Calvin Ridley because he has always played very well. And he's always been, um, explosive when catching the ball it's just now that they don't have you know such a I mean Julio Jones hasn't been playing Julio Jones ball but this offense is has a very stacked receiving core between Julio Russell Gage now who has been playing tremendously over the past, since the beginning of the season Calvin Ridley and even their running game is starting to starting to click with Todd Gurley who I thought was going to be very down and out this season. And they just, the fact that they are 0 3 does shock me because this team has put up some numbers. They just, like I said, cannot close the game out. And it's very sad. I find this ironic that um, one of the things from the 28 to 3 game that the ta- one of the takeaways was is that this young defense, this young core uh, would be back and be competing, you know, in the NFC for a long time to come. But I don't think that 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 defense has ever lived up to the hype that it was given whenever they did play in the Super Bowl. I know they lost a lot of key. I know they lost, like, Vic Beasley. 
They've lost a lot of their key players on defense, but they're still, they still have to find their identity as a defense um, in order to compete with everything, in my opinion. Yeah. And I just, we don't have, I'm looking, I was looking at um, their first three games and yeah, they played three pretty good teams, but they were up by 15 points at least in all three games. And to see three L's on that schedule is just, it has to be devastating for them. Um, but I just, I don't see them, I don't see this game being close, to be honest. I'll say Green Bay is probably wins 28-7. I think I that, think I, I think the Falcons will put up some points. I think it'll be a Green Bay victory for sure. But I th- I'm, I'm going to go 35-21. Um, I think that they'll, they will score, um, but I think that Aaron Rodgers will score more. And um, I just think that this Falcons team has to figure out their identity identity defensively. Um, but until they show anything like that, yeah, no, it's definitely it's definitely the Packers all oh. all the way. Um, in the early game, however, this is a, a very intriguing matchup, or it was an intriguing matchup um, until the the latest uh, the latest virus uh, updates hit. But we have the Chiefs at the Patriots. Um, obviously, this game is going to be a little bit tainted with the fact that it'll be um, Stidham in the back in the in the uh, backfield with. Uh, Sony Michelle and Rex Burkhead instead of Cam Newton, so that kind of uh, it kind of takes away a little bit of the dynamic of the the new Patriots offense that I'll call it. Um, I already was thinking the Chiefs are going to win this game. I obviously they're the the hottest team, and until they lose a game, I'm picking I'm picking the Chiefs. I think they win this one, and I think they put up some points on this uh, this this Patriots D. I'm going to go 35 to 14. Okay. Um, it's so weird for me to see this New England Patriots have a 32nd ranked passing offense, which is something we have never seen out of a New England Patriots team in a long time. Um, but on the opposite side, when was the last time they've had a top five rushing team in uh, NFL ranks? So I think this team has completely switched its identity to more of a run run heavy offense instead of using an arm like Tom Brady has had in the very very past for this team. I do think however these both of these teams have a very heavy defense and this will become a defensive game. I'm going to say 21-14 Kansas City. That's, and that's uh that's a very poss- that's a very good possibility. Um but uh, so kind of tying this all together, um, <clears throat> we're going to go ahead and take our viewer question of the of the episode. And uh, this this uh, this question came from uh, someone near and dear to my heart. Um, my father, Carlos, um, he he said a very intriguing question. He asked this obviously before this weekend um, games, but we, we're just getting to it now. But he said, who is the most overrated player? on a current NFL roster. And it, it kind of got me thinking, you know, uh, I, I kind of went through some of the top teams, uh, you know, kind of seeing who's uh, overrated per se. Um, 
on on a team that competes. But I think that my my um my overrated player actually lies on a team that is kind of underperforming for what people thought. And uh, I'm gonna go with Miles Sanders. Um, a lot of people, I mean, there's there's people who had this him as a top five running back this season with him getting all the carries um, in uh, Philly. Like basically, it was scripted for him to be a top rusher. Um, but the inconsistency of his hands, um, the in yeah, the inability to be a factor in the passing game with those um, skeptical hands. Um, I just think that he has not lived up to the hype of the season. Obviously, it's a sh- it's it's still early in the season. He has plenty of time to turn it around, but I just think that he's got to put up more than you know, I f- less than fifty yards a game, and two touchdowns is just not going to cut it. All right. So had we had I actually not been sick yesterday, I would my answer to this question would have been Odell Beckham. Um, however, he proceeded to prove me extremely wrong in this facet on Sunday during his game. So I'm going to have to switch this up slightly. If I had, I'm going to stick to, I'm going to go to a quarterback position here. Um, and I couldn't really decide who, which way I wanted to lean for this one. And I'm going to get a lot of heat for me saying this out loud. I'm going to go with Jimmy G. I think Jimmy G and his extremely overrated quarterback in this league. Um, he hasn't really done much to, since earning his big contract. And when they made it to the Super Bowl, it was mainly because their defense was so outstanding. And I just don't think he's his numbers are worth all that money he was given. Um, he had one good season. And other than that, he's basically been hurt or underperforming. And... I, I figured you were going to go the quarterback route. I honestly thought that you were going to go um, to a different team with this with this pick. But I, I agree with you to an extent. Uh, I think what I was shown last night in that fourth quarter with what C.J. Beather did, I understand that the uh, Eagles defense was kind of in prevent mode. They didn't want to give up the big play. So he get, was able to drive it down there and score. But – I do think that there's a lot of quarterbacks who with that defense last year would have been in the same position. I don't think that Jimmy G was the reason that they were in that position. Like you had stated prior. Um, However, I do think that the team is better with Jimmy G than the other two options. But with that being said, Nick Mullins and CJ Beathard are not, the answer I <laughs> the elite quarterbacks by any means. I honestly I really wanted to say Baker, but I don't that is that is who I thought you were gonna say, but it's only been three years. I mean it's it's hard it is hard to go with somebody who has barely been in the league for less than five years. And I mean yeah, when you played it's... when Jimmy G played back up to Brady, we didn't see him much, but I mean twenty eighteen He's been with uh, San Francisco for four years now, and, and injuries have pl- injuries right. have, injuries have plagued that, that those statistics. But I, I would like to, uh, you know, if you saying you could, you couldn't say Baker, I would just like to bring this up, and this is just something that I've uh, I've kind of uh, I, I heard the other day. Um, Adam Schefter said this, but did you notice so, like a trend um, is 
all of the quarterbacks that are like the really good young quarterbacks right now, like the Patrick Mahomes, the you have like Josh Allen, Deshaun Watson, all of them took extreme strides between their second and third years. And I right. think that that's something that there's the, uh, some quarterbacks just didn't do. Um, but I also think that has to do with the situation that these quarterbacks were put in. So listen, you also have to look at this. Patrick Mahomes, did he, when, they, when, when the Chiefs drafted him, they didn't need they didn't need Patrick Mahomes. They had Alex Smith. Correct. You have the Bills. They drafted um, Josh Allen. Did they need him? No, they had Tyrod Taylor, who literally led him to the playoffs. And now look at Tyrod Taylor. And I, I, I no, what I'm saying is, <laughs> what I what I'm saying is is Baker drafted instantly thrown into the the pit fire of. You know, he didn't have a veteran quarterback who could so win. So essentially, what he, you're saying. What, so what I'm. Groomed. Yes, and that is what I, that that is that is what I was getting to about what Adam Schefter said. Um, is all of these quarterbacks they they when they were drafted they weren't necessarily needed. Um, these good quarterbacks. Um, I mean, Deshaun didn't start right away. He had a uh, what is it? Uh, Savage and. Uh, Oh, the man for uh, New England. Hoyer? Hoyer, yeah. They, they were both in uh, Houston, I believe. It's just all these good quarterbacks had a time to just watch. You know, watch the season, run the scout teams. Um, and that, that's honestly, I, I would say that's kind of what happened to, like, the Sam Darnolds, Josh Rosens. Um, you know, they got thrown into the, the spotlight and they just weren't ready. Like, and I will, I 100% agree with you because if we look at, I'm just going to throw these quarterbacks out here real quick. Um, Aaron Rodgers didn't play right away. He sat behind Brett Favre. Um, Tom Brady didn't play right away. Sat behind Bledsoe. And he was only in because of an injury. Mm-hmm. Um, you can say the same for numerous good quarterbacks. I mean, uh, Kirk Cousins not. Kirk Cousins actually, but you know he was behind. He was uh he was in uh, the Washington and he took he was a, in Washington behind uh oh my god I can't think of it was, was that back when they had a uh, was that back when they had McNabb? Mm, no, it wasn't that no. long ago. It wasn't that long ago. But I mean, even these great quarterbacks this season weren't rushed to play and i think that oh he's rg3 rg3 got hurt remember was that RG? oh that was yeah that, that was, was the season that, after he they had draft, break out. yeah because they drafted both of them yeah that was in the that same year yep that's what it was fortunate set of circumstances but it that, for real like they legitimately like and it's weird how it worked out like that but most quarterbacks it, that the ones that succeed early in their career and don't take a few years to get going, like obviously you have some that make it work, um, but it, they just have time. They get groomed. And I agree. And I think that, which is why I think getting drafted to a team who desperately needs a quarterback is never great when you're a rookie because I think the expectation is a little too high for you mm-hmm. having to come out and ex- and immediately start performing. You don't have that leeway of 
okay, we can throw you – if our season is going badly, we can throw you in a couple games and let you f- see how you do. And then the, when the next season rolls around, we can then say, okay, this is now your team. As to where if you're playing for the Browns, it's basically, oh, we're going to draft you. We're going to give you two games to perform. If you perform, you can have the team. If you don't, we're moving on. And I just don't think that's good for anybody's confidence. Exactly. And reeling back into this, like to this group of people, I, I do think, like, don't get me wrong, it is very possible to be the guy, come in, um, immediately start helping your team. Like, it's happened before. But I think that when you look across the board and you look at, you look at um, Joe Burrow, you look at Dwayne Haskins, I think that if they would be drafted into a different situation, I think that it, it's, a, it's a completely different ball game. That's why I think, and people call me crazy whenever like I, I got asked about it before, is the Jordan Love pick by the Green Bay Packers that everybody hated on. I honestly no. think it was smart because the thing is, is you don't want to draft a quarterback when you need a quarterback because they don't pan out. And it's just historically they don't pan out. Because if you think about it, Lamar Jackson sat behind Joe Flacco. That's and he, he's the reigning MVP. Um, I mean, literally, I, there's so many. Teddy Bridgewater sat behind um, – uh, well, he sat behind Breeze last year. Um, obviously, he kind of uh, got thrown into the fire with the, with the Vikings um, early in his career, but he's rebounded. Uh, Jared Goff uh, – did, did Jared Goff get thrown into the – um, I don't remember. I, I was, not I was but I didn't was Teddy Bridgewater sit behind Brett Favre in Minnesota? Mm, Wasn't that? I don't think he was in the league that long. I'm about to look that up. Um, but I was gonna say, anyway, because if that's the case, even Teddy Bridgewater was, I mean, it was Brett Favre's end of the season, but um, it was just, I agree with you on that. And, and that's kind of why I thought you were going to go the Baker Mayfield route, but I was going to go ahead and say that statistic that obviously I got to watch Baker play a lot. I watched him play uh, te- Texas. You know, I watched him do some very vulgar stuff on the field to, uh, to Texas, Texas teams. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think, I think you give them, you, like you said, don't judge them within the five years. Um, but I, I think that there's a lot of quarterbacks that if you look across the board, I just don't think that the answers for these these struggling teams. And I think that's why everybody's, you know, the the joke is tank for tank for Trevor. But I think the best thing for like the Trevor, the Trey, Lances, the Justin Fields is to get drafted to a team who has even if it's the end of the road starter. Say somebody gets drafted to Tampa next year. Say like he falls to, you know, the, the later the later rounds or the, the later first round, gets drafted by – gets to sit behind Brady for even one season for the rest of Brady's contract and then gets thrown in the fire, he's already that much better than your alternative. Right. I I hear what you're saying, and it's just – I don't know. We have come such a long way in the grooming process and it, what to expect out of certain – Oh, players. and t- to uh, to answer the question from earlier, uh, Bridgewater sat behind Matt Castle. Okay. okay. So he was thrown in after Castle struggled. Um, I was super confused with all that. But yes. d- since we're on football, I do want to throw 
throw out one little statistic that we are. Um, so the number one passer with the most amount of yards through four, through four games is Dak Prescott with 1690 yards. The second person is Mr. Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills at um, 1,326. So you tell me why why Dallas sucks so badly. Um, well, we we already hit on it. Uh, yeah. Their defense has always had has always cost them. Um, they're only getting older. Um, their younger cornerbacks haven't lived up to the hype that they that they had brought preseason, and um, I mean. Like there was a couple plays that they just got beat by the Browns receivers, um, just wanting it more. So I think that it falls on the defense. Um, uh, I don't. You, you definitely, you definitely can't blame it on the offense. I mean, the offense got a slow start. You can blame it on that. I mean, two two scoreless quarters um, is never. You're never going to win a game if you go two uh, quarters scoreless. So it, it it's a, it was a team loss for sure, um, but right. it's it's still I think it falls mainly on the defense. That's fair. But anyway, uh, it should be a fun time um, for the uh, for sports today um, with two football games. You don't you normally get this, so enjoy it. And uh, the ALDS starts today too. Don't a- forget. A- a- yes, ALDS. Some uh, some interesting matchups that most people didn't necessarily see um happening so um i i think we just leave it on uh leave it on that note everybody have a safe uh safe week and we will uh catch you on wednesday all right y'all take it easy don't forget to like and subscribe to this video and the channel and we'll talk to you more on wednesday yep peace see ya